Our Bible reading is a continuation of our exposition of Luke. And Jesus says here in Luke chapter 6, verse 22 to 23, and verse 26, this final blessing and woe He gives to us. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Verse 26, woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. We continue our verse-by-verse exposition of the gospel according to Luke. And over the past month now, we've been looking at these blessings and woes that Jesus has given us in this preeminent sermon there in the book. Very reflective and similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. This is Luke's Sermon on the Level or Sermon on the Plain. Right? It is not the same sermon as the Sermon on the Mount, but it shares similar content, as would have been the case for all of Jesus' teaching. We see that Jesus is a kingdom preacher. He has come to preach the kingdom of God, that it has come, and with that, something radically new has come. And so we saw this in these opening blessings and woes that Christ is turning up and turning over the expectations of the world. He's turning literally the world upside down. The things which were once considered as blessed are now considered as as woes. And those which were once considered as woes, He sees as blessed. What is going on with this teaching of Christ? What Jesus is doing here is He's pulling our eyes off of the realities of the world. And He's wanting us to see as He sees and to live and act as He acts. That's the goal. See as I see and act as I act. We've been looking at His seeing portion. That's what these blessings and woes are all about. It is teaching us how to see rightly. To see with with kingdom glasses on. Of what is true blessing as opposed to what the world teaches about blessing. What is truly spiritually dangerous as opposed to what the world says is good and exciting. We have seen three of these. Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who weep now. For you shall laugh. Blessed are you who are hungry now. For you shall be filled. And then this week. Perhaps the most shocking of all of them. Blessed are you when you are hated. Excluded. Reviled spurned on account of the Son of Man. These blessings and woes 
they, they, they convict our hearts and they challenge us. As all of Jesus' teaching does. It challenges. Why? Because it, it, it attacks this carnal flesh which makes it about us. Which makes us live to, to satisfy everything for the here and now. Not thinking about what is to come. We are so easily allured by the promises of the world. Not realizing that those promises are a pathway to destruction. We are so often quick to forget the promises of God. Which lead to eternal life in Christ. And that is what these blessings and woes do. They, they reorient our heart to right thinking. Today, I take no apology. I give no apology for the amount of scripture we will look at this morning. And there's a reason why. I believe in this final blessing and woe. Jesus lays out two of the greatest threats to our faith. The persecution of men and the praise of men. Few things are more dangerous to us. Few things are more threatening to our faith than the fear of man and persecution. Or the praise of man and his approval. Because if you live with both of those realities upon your heart, it will closet your faith. It will cast you off of Christ and put you onto the world. These are great threats to our faith. Persecution and praise. What my prayer is that I hope that you'll see this morning is that the persecution of man and the praise of man are ultimately two sides of the same coin. Both of them, the reason why they are a threat to our faith is because they both attack the self. The flesh lives for two things. Self-preservation and self-promotion. And that is why these two things threaten us. Because they attack our desire for self-preservation and they attack our desire for self-promotion. And if you're honest with yourself this morning, this will hit home. This will hit home with us. Because none of us will not fall prey to these realities in some form or fashion. So how do we overcome them? How do we destroy these threats against our faith? That's, that's my prayer that we'll see this morning. So let's begin with the first. With the dangers of the persecution of men. I love this quote from A.W. Pink. He says, though poor in this world's goods, though grieving the loss of loved ones, though suffering pain of body, though harassed by sin and Satan, though hated and persecuted by worldlings, whatever be the case and lot of the Christian, it is both his privilege and duty to rejoice in the Lord. 
No matter what is your lot in this life, it is your privilege and duty to rejoice in the Lord. My friends, we oftentimes here in the West may look at this teaching on persecution and go, I I still think that's for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I I know that my brothers and sisters across the world are being ravaged and tortured and drugged from their homes and killed. That's happening all over the place. But, but that's not here. So it, it seems like maybe it's, it's wrong to be teaching on this because we're, we're not persecuted to that extent. And you're right. And maybe there's a reason for that. My, my prayer this morning is as we think about their faithfulness, It's not to pray that they'll become more like us, but that we would not become more like them. But the reality of tribulation in this life is not something that what we've been taught in this Western world, which is God just going to, He'll pluck you out of tribulation. He won't let us go through that stuff. If He loves you, He loves His people too much to let them go through tribulation and trials. Yeah, tell that to the early church. Tell that to your brothers and sisters in parts of Africa. Tell that to your brothers and sisters in the Middle East. Tell that to your brothers and sisters in China. That God, if He loves you, He won't let you go through tribulation. Tell that to the Apostle Paul who preaches this to the church in Acts chapter 14, verses 21-22. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. What what we have to enter through? We have to enter through tribulation to get to the kingdom of God. Many tribulations. The realities of of persecution for the sake of Christ is a reality that will mark the people of God. It will mark us. And the reason why that's so important is look here at verse 22, what it says. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Now, the reason why that's important is notice, none of those terms have anything to do with physical suffering. So, yes, physical suffering was a part of the tribulations. Well, Matthew's version says, blessed are the persecuted. Yeah, there is physical persecution. And that kind of stuff will lead to physical persecution. But notice, these are all conditions of the heart. Blessed are you when people hate you, condition of the heart. When they exclude you. You're not going to be a part of us. We don't want you here. Revile you. That is to to slur your name, to slander you, to spurn your name as evil. To make it clear, those people are bad. They don't belong to us. And yeah, we've been blessed to live in a, a country, and specifically within the West, 
where there is such a Christian worldview that lays at the foundations of our society that we've been able to skate on by because the vast majority of the way we live reflects the mentality that's been just being engrafted into the thinking and ideology of the world around us. The problem with the world around us today in the West is that people think that they can maintain the fruit of a Christian worldview without the root of it, which is Christ. And you can't do that. It's like sawing off the limb when you're sitting on the not next to the trunk. You know, it's, you've seen that cartoon. And that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to maintain a Christian worldview, right? Where do you think this stuff called rights comes from? Where, where else do you find human rights outside of Christianity? They didn't exist. Rights, values, judgment. I have meaning and value. Where did that come from? These are all, everything that you see people screaming and yearning, justice, all of these things. My identity matters. What do you think all that flows out of? It's a Christian worldview. They just try to cut the head off the worldview they want to hold on to. To cut the Christ out of the Christianity. And that's much what you see in the West. But what you'll start seeing as we progress is the more that we look like the one they seek to cut out, the more we're going to be want to be cut out. You need to be canceled, gone, removed. Because if we're got to cut out Christ from the worldview, we got to cut out anyone who reflects Him. So don't think that you are too far from this. But notice something very important. This isn't just people hating you. This isn't just people reviling you, spurning you. They're just doing it random. There's a specific kind of blessing that Jesus has in mind here. It's when you're hated, reviled, excluded, spurned on account of Him. So not just for any reason. Well, these people don't like Well, maybe you're not likable. Maybe you're being kind of a bad person. This isn't just any kind of persecution, any kind of, oh, people are mean to me. Like, it's not just that. It's, it's got to be tied to your life for Christ. In other words, this will not even happen if you're not living for Jesus. So maybe the reason why so much of this isn't happening is because we're not living for Jesus. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be Persecuted. You will never suffer on account of his name if you won't live on account of his name. So many of you in this room have walked through the hypotheticals of, man, if someone came in here today with a gun or someone came into my house and, and said I would die for Jesus, and if I would just if I just said I don't believe in him, I, you know, I, they would leave me alone. You know what? I would say I believe in him and they would just have to kill me. I know that I would do that. I know that I would have the strength and the encouragement. Well, that's great. And I'm not doubting you on that. But so often we spend so much time thinking about whether or not we would die for Christ than actually living for him. 
So the question isn't today, will you die for Him? The question is, will you live for Him? Because if you live for Him, you will. It doesn't matter what comes your way. But if you live for Him, be ready. Be ready to be hated and spurned and reviled and excluded. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. We are to, if we are to suffer, if we are to be excluded, it must be on account of Him. This isn't us going out there and prodding or poking, thinking that that's martyrdom. So often, individuals today, especially within the Twitterverse and within social media and things like that, they, they think that they, they go out in the way, they go do stuff, they go to certain places, they create certain environments where it will create a negative response. They are not living for Christ. They're just being trolls. So often we follow those and go, look at these heroes and their champions. They're not actually living for Christ. They're trying to glorify self. Promise you that. How often is it seen in Scripture, if you go and do something, don't let anybody know. And yet, we go and do things with a camera right here. Boy, we're suffering for Jesus. No, you're not. You're living for self. These are for those, this teaching that Jesus has is for those who are radically living for Christ in just day-to-day life and they're excluded by their loved ones. They're hated and reviled by people because they look like Jesus and they live like Jesus and they want nothing but Jesus. And then people around them can't stand it because it's enmity to the world. So what does Jesus mean by this? He said we are going to be hated. You're going to be hated. Why? John chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So often I've heard, man, if you guys just acted more like Jesus, I think people would like you more. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. They killed him. He made every side uncomfortable. The super religious people, the super political people, they couldn't stand him. The liberal religious people, Sadducees, conservative religious people, Pharisees, couldn't stand him. Let that be a warning to you. He was so out of this world. The world said, we don't want that here because it makes us uncomfortable. It shines light on the sin that I want to keep. I hated him for it. No servant is greater than his master, Jesus would say. So if they hated me, they'll hate you. Secondarily, they exclude you. This was a very real reality for these early Christians. Primarily who at this time were Jewish. Jewish Christians, to follow Jesus as their Messiah meant to be excluded from their community, excluded from their families. John chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, Jesus says this, 
I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Why? Because it's a threat. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. So notice, this is important. No one's going to give you your martyr sticker. No one's going to say, yeah, you're just, you're just suffering for Jesus. No one's going to tell you that. No one's going to give that to you. You're going to be excluded just because of him. And they'll say, we're doing the right thing. You don't love people enough. That's why we got to exclude you. You're not inclusive enough of others. That's why we got to exclude you. You're, you're not fitting in in our camp. We've got to exclude you. We're not going to turn to it here, but in, it's amazing. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. And the Pharisees come to him and they say, who did this to you? And he says, Jesus. So they bring in his parents. Hey, was he really blind from birth? And who did this? And the parents say, yeah, he was blind from birth, but they would not reveal who did it. And then in a little subscript, John tells us why. Because they knew that to believe in Jesus would be to put out the synagogue. They wouldn't say Jesus' name out of fear of what? Exclusion. Hold on to that when we think about the woe in a moment. You will be excluded. Your family members will put you out if you want to live for Christ. You're just a holy roller. All you do is talk about Jesus. You're just a Bible thumper. And I tell you what, sometimes, sometimes you are being wicked with it. You're using the Bible as a hammer more than you are a bridge. And instead of leading with love, you lead with arrogance. But blessed are you when you're excluded for Christ's name. Reviled and spurned for evil. This idea that your name is slandered. That people want nothing to do with you. That they put a mark literally on your name as one to be avoided. One to be stayed away from. One who is stupid and dumb and mocked and foolish. You're an idiot. You're dumb. You're out of your mind. You're crazy. Take heart. This is what they did to Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So stop right there. In other words... If you're suffering because you're out doing foolish things, you're not suffering. You're just being punished. So if you're going out of your way to cause problems and problems find you, that's not blessing. That's justice. If you're out doing wrong and you get punished for wrongdoing, that's justice. It's not persecution. But... If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. 
If people are slandering you because of your, your faith in Jesus, if you're being put down, excluded, spurned for Jesus, don't you dare be ashamed. Don't you dare be ashamed of Him. What does Jesus say elsewhere, right? If you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father. So don't, you don't need to be ashamed if ever you're made fun of for Jesus. So these are realities that are going to come with following Jesus. We're going to be hated by the world. We're going to be excluded by the world because we're not of it. We're pilgrims. We don't belong here. We're going to be reviled and slandered and spurned. Our name will be made out to be evil. Okay. All right, Lord. We hear you. And then in verse 23, he gives the hardest command in the Bible. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. I will tell you right now, this is the most impossible command in the Bible. If anyone says to me, God can't command you to do the impossible, yeah, He can. Because He's the one who empowers you to do it. Left to myself, I'm not doing that. I'm going to wallow in self-pity. I'm going to be hurt and mad and angry and grudging and I'm going to grumble. See, we're going to get a whole lot of commands after this that seem impossible. Love your enemy. Okay, I can do good to them. I can, I can grudgingly go do good to people. I can will myself to doing something that I'm not happy to do. But this is not a command to do. This is a command to feel. This is a command to feel. I can control what I do. I, I can go do stuff begrudgingly and put on a face and, ah, oh, this is good for you. But this is a command to feel. And this is impossible left to me. This is impossible. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Celebrate. Be glad that day that you've been persecuted and hated and excluded and slandered. They, thank you, Jesus. They kicked me out of the family. What is this? What is this? How in the world can we do what is humanly impossible? Well, the answer is it's, it's got to be a miracle. And the miracle of joy and gladness in the midst of suffering is a miracle of faith. It is a miracle of faith. And that miracle is worked out through two realities that Jesus has given us in the text here in this teaching. The first reality that we have to set our hearts upon is our present kingdom inclusion. Yours is the kingdom of God. So when you're excluded, one of the things that works the joy is you still belong. So though the world excludes you, you've been included in God's kingdom. You are not an outcast to God. You are not hated by God. You are not spurned for evil by God. You are loved and accepted fully if you're in Christ. So that, that's the first part. You've got to press your heart upon the present reality of my kingdom inclusion. So that's one part of the miracle. 
And the second part of the miracle is given here. And that's the hope of my future reward. Rejoice in that day, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. So the miracle of joy in the midst of suffering comes through a faith in my present kingdom inclusion and the hope of my future reward in heaven. So that faith and hope work together to create joy in my life. They are the root of the miracle which produces the fruit of joy in my life. In your life. To the degree that you believe what Jesus has given you in the kingdom. And what he has for you in heaven. To that degree you will be able to rejoice in suffering. To the degree that you Believe what Jesus has given you now in the kingdom and what he has for you in the future in heaven is to the is the degree that you will be able to endure suffering with joy. In other words, the fight for joy is the fight for faith. Do you believe what he says? And if you believe what he says, you'll rejoice. If you believe in his promises, you'll rejoice. Even though you can't see and it hurts, you'll be sorrowful yet joyful. This has been the lot of God's people from the beginning. A people ridiculed, hurt, harmed, excluded, reviled by the world, yet always joyful in him. Let's look to the early church. Acts chapter 5, verse 41 and 42. They just gotten beaten. So they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from the house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. That the Christ is Jesus. They just got beaten at the council by the Sanhedrin. And these apostles rejoiced for what? That they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Not just to suffer, but to suffer for Jesus. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to be associated with Him. And if being associated with Jesus means suffering Oh, how wonderful. All that matters is that I'm associated with Him. So whether it brings the salvation of men or suffering from men, I'm going to rejoice because I'm associated with Him. And that's the way we live. We live to be associated with Him. That whenever, that every fiber and part of our life reflects a Christ-likeness in us, Counted it joy. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 through 36. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. 
And you joyfully accepted. Listen to this. You accepted joyfully the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what's promised. That's that's crazy to me. You receive with joy the plundering of your property. How? Because they knew what they had in the kingdom. The present faith that that had a greater possession. So I can lose it all. My joy doesn't go. Take it all. My joy is tied to the one who can't be taken from me. The present knowledge of the kingdom endured them through the suffering of reproach and revile and imprisonment and plundering of their goods. Not only that, but notice the hope of the reward. You see what produces the miracle of joy? The present faith in the knowledge of my kingdom inclusion now. And the hope of the reward I will have in glory. Those two realities produce joy where it is impossible to find. It was not just the church though. It was in the old covenant as well. Look at this passage about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses had everything. He was a son of Pharaoh in this period. He would have had the full household. He may have never been Pharaoh, but he would have been up in the elite, had all the access to the treasures of Egypt. But instead, rather than hanging on to these fleeting pleasures, that's what Jesus has been teaching all all about this. This is all fleeting if you put your hope in this stuff. Rather than putting his hope in that, He considered the reproach of Christ greater. Greater. The suffering he would endure for following Christ. Let that be a testament to what and who those Old Testament saints were looking to for their salvation. The object of our salvation, Old and New Covenant, has always been the same. It's Jesus. They looked forward to Him. We look back and forward to Him. But the object has always been the same. It's Jesus. Moses saw through the realities to the Christ to come. And he considered suffering for him, suffering for that cause, as greater than the treasures he had in Egypt. Why? Because he was looking to the reward. He's looking to the reward. Listen to this description of the prophets and what they endured. Hebrews 11, 36-8. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Why? Because there's no home here for you. This isn't your home. 
You don't belong here. And the world will take note of it. And it will seek to run you out. Because you don't have a lasting home here. You don't, you don't belong here. That's why they lived in day, dens and caverns. That's why in the, the Scripture, notice where the Old Testament prophets are always coming from. They're coming from the wilderness to the people. Because there's no place for them in the city. They're not allowed to stay there. That's why John the Baptist, that's why he's out in the wilderness. You think it's just because he liked it out there? It's because they had no place for him in the city. You're not welcome here. Such it was with all the prophets. You're not welcome here. There's no place for you here. My friends, this has been the lot of God's people from the beginning. Because here's the reality. The reality of sin puts us outside the garden. It puts us outside. That's why Adam and Eve were moved outside the garden. And all this world is that outside, that extra Eden, that outside of Eden world. And their sin is comfortable. Their sin is okay. Their sin is not a problem. Their sin, we just get along with it. But the moment you've been plucked out of that, back into the garden, which is what's happened to you in Christ, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you're no longer going to be able to live comfortably in that world. You will no longer be able to live comfortably outside of Eden because there's too much of the light of it on you. And it repels the darkness. It's repulsive to the darkness. And yet, why you say, why would it be this way? Why would God allow this persecution to constantly mark His people? And I think we see the testimony time and time again in Scripture. That the power of the Gospel is spread through the persecution of His people. Why? Because it is their ability to endure with joy the sufferings of this world that marks them out to the world that something's different about them. They live for something that is bigger than this world. They don't get allured by the same attractions that we do. So God allows us to endure persecution so that the gospel will be spread and so that others might see that light and enter into it themselves. Luke chapter 21, verse 12 to 13. This is what Jesus says. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Why? This will be your opportunity to bear witness. It's not meaningless. The suffering that we endure joyfully for the cause of Christ is the stage that is used for the advancement of the gospel. So we are to suffer well. Because when we suffer and yet joy, we rejoice through it. That joy can't be robbed from us. That we don't revile back and attack back. It says to the world, what's wrong with these people? What's wrong with them? 
We can't ever get the best of them. And even when we hurt them, the church just keeps growing. That's what it did for the first 300 years. They kept just trying to kill it and kill it and it blew up. Because the persecution of the church is the fire that forges the church in godliness. Because when you're suffering for the name of Christ, you better know what you believe. False prophets don't do well in a suffering environment. They get cut off. This ain't worth it. It's worth it when there's gain. A worldly gain. But when I'm going to die for it, no way. Suffering purifies the church and it empowers its message. Because it says he's really worth dying for. He's really worth living for. He's really worth anything you can do to me. He's really worth it. The suffering of the church has shown the immense worth of Christ. He is worthy. He is sufficient. There is no meaningless suffering when you live for the cause of Christ. Men will hate you. They will exclude you. They will revile you. They will spurn your name for evil. All for the sake of Christ. And if that is true for you, rejoice that you were counted worthy to suffer for His name. Rejoice that you were associated with Him. What greater privilege in the world than to be associated with Jesus? That's what it means to be a Christian. It's to be associated with Him. And if I am to follow in His sufferings, oh, what a glorious day. Because it's for Him. It's for Him. So to the woe, verse 26, Woe unto you when all people speak well of you, for this they did to the false prophets. Now, this is one of those passages in the Bible that plucked out of its context can be very dangerous. Because, for instance, we read in the Proverbs that a good name is better than gold. We read of Paul that... that uh, and, and Timothy and these others, that they were thought well of by outsiders. That, that pastors and leaders and elders are to be above reproach. So, so what does Jesus mean here? Right? Does He mean that it's bad if people affirm us or, or think that we're kind or, or they ever speak well of us? That like, oh, don't you dare say that I'm a good person. Don't you dare say that you think, don't think me. I'm terrible. I'm a wicked person. No, that's not what he means. Remember, what is it all about when you're hated on account of my name? In other words, what he has in mind here is this is the person who has forsaken Christ for the praise of men. Who have abandoned the person of Christ and the truth of Christ in order to be promoted and preserved by men. If I, as long as I don't say it, they won't kill me. They won't cancel me. They'll let me just coexist. 
So I, I'm not going to say that hard stuff. I know I'm on Larry King Live right now, but I don't, I don't know what God's Word says about certain people groups. I, I just, you know, I've forgotten all of a sudden. I know that I'm on Ellen DeGeneres and, and thousands of people listen to my music singing to Jesus and praising Jesus. But when I'm on the stage and thousands of people are watching me, I don't know what the Word says about that. You know, there's, I'm not sure. It, it kind of gray on these areas. No. It's not great. You're just a coward. You've let the fear of man get the best of you. And in that desire for self-preservation and self-promotion, you abandon Christ. You abandon His truth. My friend, Jesus is the Lord of the universe. He wanted men to trust and admire Him. But He never changed who He was or what He taught. And neither should we. My friends, I can't say this enough. And I want you to please hear this. We are a peculiar people. (coughs) Embrace the strangeness of following Jesus. We're weird. Our love is peculiar. Our joy should be peculiar. Our care for one another, peculiar. Our our lack of tribalism and fighting and infighting should be peculiar, but it's not. It looks just like the world. We, We thought that if we just look more like the world, we'll win more people. But what you win them with is what you win them to. So we've just won them to worldliness. We haven't won them to Christ. We've won them to comfort. And my friends, following Christ will leave you comforted, but not comfortable. And there's a major difference in that. That's why Jesus said that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Why? Sure, show your people. You're supposed to look different. You're supposed to think different. You're supposed to be different. I hate when we get to this political discussions and they make evangelical a voting block. I wish they'd say, we can't figure these people out. They're weird and they're strange. We don't even want to talk about them because they don't reflect us at all. If a worldly platform says it reflects Christianity, then we've lost Christianity. Then we're not being very Christian if a worldly platform can say we'd like to adopt them. You think of that. My friend, if we stand on the truth of Christ, we will inevitably rub the world wrong. I promise you. If you you stand firm on this long enough, eventually you're going to rub somebody wrong. And it will be out of love. It can be the most kind truth. But if you stand on truth, you will eventually find conflict. So what will you do? Well, you, just, ah, you know, maybe it doesn't say that. I, I don't know. I, I thought I said that, but maybe it doesn't. I mean, we should read another commentary. Well, you stand firm and say, listen, I cannot but speak what God's Word says. And I love you enough to say that. I don't hate you. I don't revile you. I love you. 
I want nothing more than you to know Christ. I want nothing more than you to know that. So I will say it, and I'll say it proudly. And if it, if it means canceling, it means being hurt, I'm going to say it because what Christ's Word says. He is the way, and the only way. And there's no other way. I love you enough to say that. Because the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Unlike the false prophets, who in their self-promotion and self-preservation told the kings whatever they wanted to hear. What do you want to hear? Oh, this, is, this will make you feel good. I think that's what God says. God wants you, Ahab, to have your best life now. So let me tell you how to do it with a smile. And he had 300 of them. He had 300 prophets who told him exactly what he wanted to hear. And then poor Elijah who wasn't allowed in the city. And you know why he wasn't allowed? Every time he comes, he speaks against me. He tells me what I don't want to hear. So don't invite him to come. Of course he's going to say something bad. I don't want him here. And left him constantly fleeing for his life. This is, the, this is what rebellious world, a rebellious world longs for prophets who will tell them what they want to hear. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 9 through 11. For they are a rebellious people, lying children and willing to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, don't see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. So when Paul says in Timothy, there will be a time when people will only endure the teaching that itches ears. It's been happening. That's not some like new thing. Like so often we hear, we look at like all the, the rise of these teachers. We're like, oh, this is it. This has got to be the end of the world. It's always been this way. Rebellious people long for prophets who will lead them to their own desires. I want someone who can get up here and justify the desires of my heart, not convict them. And I want to hear you today, and please hear me this. I love you. But if, I have, if you have never ever been convicted in this church through my preaching, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Because I clearly haven't hit it hard enough. The most dangerous word to ever enter the church was relevance. It's got to be relevant. Got to keep looking like them and acting like them. We're weird. Embrace it. Embrace your strangeness. Embrace the fact that where Jesus and those followers of His went, everybody was like, who the heck are these weird people? This, this is different. There was an aura about them, not because he was just walking around glowing. It's because there was such a weirdness about it. A peculiarity of him that changed everything about the world around him. So embrace the strangeness. Embrace the weirdness so that it comes with following Jesus. Be, embrace when people make fun of you and mock you. Okay. But I love you enough to keep stand, standing on it. 
We were not called to be relevant. We were called to be righteous. Because desiring the glory of man rather than the glory of God will always lead to unbelief. John chapter 5, verse 33 through 34. Listen to this. Jesus is telling these men why they won't believe. He's talking to the Pharisees. And He gives them the answer right here. I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Notice that. How can you believe when you're seeking the glory of men rather than the glory of God? The question already gives you the answer. You can't believe. The reason you won't believe in Jesus, the reason that you won't surrender to Him is because you're too worried about your status with men. And if you're so worried about your status with men, you'll never believe. You'll never surrender. And I want to tell you that that's true. Because you can believe with that Jesus is the Lord. You can believe that He's the Savior. You can believe that He's everything He said He was. But if you have the fear of men set on your life and the desire to be glorified by men, you will never surrender. You can have all the belief in the world, but it will never get here if this desires the promotion and preservation of men. And this is made clear in John chapter 12. Many even of the authorities believed in Him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Do you hear that? That should terrify you. They believed, but they would not confess. Because they desired the glory of man rather than the glory of God. And there's a whole lot of people today who are declaring their belief in Christ but not confessing it when it comes time to put the rubber where the road is because they love the glory of man more than they love the glory of God. This is a great danger that we all fall prey to if we are not careful. You don't want Jesus because you want human praise. You don't want Jesus because you want to be the center of attention. You don't want you want to be in control. You want to be exalted. You want to be made much of. You want to be loved. You want to be included. Pick whichever one of those fit best because the truth is they all fit me. I want to be included. I want to be affirmed. I like when people speak well of me. I want to be praised. I want to be loved. I'm all of those things. And apart from the grace of God, I fall prey to this every day. So I fit all of this. And this is why we get into our camps and we create our echo chambers. Because we want people to affirm us. We want people to love us. We want to get in there where people just, yes, men. Oh, you're so good. You're so smart. You preach so well. I love what John Bunyan said. He had a lady at the end of his message who said, that was one of the greatest sermons that you ever, you ever preached. And he said, he said, well, sorry to tell you, but the devil beat you to the punch. He told me that ten times on the way to the back. It's all about exalting self. It's all about saying, I want to hear it. Oh, I just want to hear that that was the good one. I want to hear. I want to know that what I'm doing, that people like me, that I've heard, it's all there. So I create camps and I get in my tribes and I get in my group because I want to be affirmed and loved by everybody around me. 
call is not to get in the camp. The call is to get out of it. Hebrews chapter 13. Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp. And bear the reproach He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Everybody wants to put me in a camp and put you in a camp. You're this group. You're the reformed group. You're the non-reformed group. You're this group. You're that camp. You're not camp. Get me out of the camps. Because you can have your camp or you can have Christ, but you can't have both. So give me Christ. And every time man tried to draw a line around Jesus, he walked over him. You don't get to put me in your camp. You can have your camps. I'll take my Christ. And whatever suffering might come with it. As long as I'm where he was. That's all that matters. So get out of your camp. Destroy the bondage that comes from the slavery of approval and praise. My friend, human praise is a cheap reward to live for. It's not saying that we shouldn't love and praise one another. Don't please, if you're hearing that, you're, that's the enemy. Affirm, lift up your brothers and sisters. But if you're leaving Christ at the door so that you can be praised of others, woe unto you. Woe unto you. Get out the camp and get on to Christ. So how do we rejoice when persecuted for following Jesus? Close with these few points of application. First, know that what man means for evil, God means for good. But what good, Blake? What good could possibly come from being excluded and hurt and spurned? And in having to go through tribulation and trial, what good can God possibly bring? Well, first you just need to heed the promise. Romans 8.28 We know that for those who love God, all things, not just good things, not just like comfortable things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. All things, good, bad, suffering, pain, evil, it's all for your good because He works it in you for good. He works it in you for good. And what is that good? Well, first, it produces hope. Our suffering and, and produces hope for the greater things to come. Romans 5, 2 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. When you have the hope of Christ, you can't be put to shame. Men can't put you to shame because you know what you have in Jesus. I can't be shamed when I know my God is for me. Do you have that hope today? Secondly, persecution produces steadfastness. It produces steadfastness. Third, it produces ministry opportunities. We saw that. Fourth, it produces Christ likeness. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 11, or chapter 4, verse 11. For we live, for he who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. 
We're given over to death so that the life of Christ can be manifested through us. I love what A.W. Tozer said. When I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more like Christ, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. Whatever you go through this week, whatever comes your way, know it's to make you more like Jesus. Now live through that situation like Christ. So easy to believe it's making me more like Christ and then not live like it. See every opportunity you're faced with as an opportunity to make much of Jesus. To make much of Him. Secondly, we rejoice by being emboldened by the faithful legacy of Christian martyrs. The faithful testimony of Christian martyrs. Tertullian in the early church said that it was the blood of the martyrs which was the seed of the church. As men and women were killed for their faith, the gospel just kept spreading and growing. They counted it joy to be considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Our suffering, our willingness to live and die for Jesus emboldens our brothers and sisters. It says He's worth it. And if He could do it, I'm going to do it too. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 1 about his imprisonment. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So not only has this suffering been a means to advance the gospel, this whole Roman guard that's been chained to Paul for 24 hours a day has heard nothing but Jesus. Think about how many guards are in heaven because they got to spend time with him and shackled Paul. He means it for good. But then secondarily, the brothers are more confident and boldened to preach the word without fear. Why? Because when we look to the fact that our brothers and sisters faithfully endured even through persecution, it's that constant pouring onto our heart. He's worth it. He's worth it. So we look to the martyrs. We look to Stephen, who was stoned to death for Christ. We look to Polycarp, who on his way to going and being ripped apart for Christ in the Colosseum, says, today I become a disciple of Jesus. We look to Blandina, a teenage girl in the third century who was a slave and one of the martyrs of Lyon who was tortured and exposed to wild animals, taken into the the arena and tied to the stake where she was slowly eaten by wild animals. And in the midst of it, look to a fellow boy on the stake across from her and while she's being eaten, says, isn't Christ good? We looked at Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who looked at his friend on the way of leaving the cell to go be killed. And said, today I go to live. A camp doctor wrote of his execution. We read this in Bonhoeffer's biography. It says at the place of his execution, he said a short prayer and climbed the steps to the gallows. Brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. 
In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I have never seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. And guess what? He died two weeks before the U.S. Army liberated that camp. And it wasn't meaningless. It was not meaningless. Faithful unto death. That word martyros, where we get martyr, it's the Greek word that means witness. And we are His witnesses. Will you witness with your life and if needed, your death? Thirdly, behold and follow in the example of Jesus. We'll jump to the first Peter here text. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth when He was reviled, and He did not revile in return when He suffered. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Christ here in His humanity leaves a perfect example of how to suffer righteously. We don't revile back. We don't attack back. We're going to see starting next week, we actually love instead. We love and we give back in return to those who hurt us and harm us. Why? Because we know judgment belongs to God and He will be perfect in it. When you know that vengeance belongs to the Lord, it frees you to love even your enemy. It frees you to live radically because God will provide and He'll do what's right. Look to Jesus' example. You have a God who knows what it is to endure suffering. And for that, He can sympathize with you perfectly, whatever you face. And then lastly and finally, set your heart on the glory to come. For great is your reward in heaven. Your reward in Christ is infinite. It is eternal. It is sure. Your joy and your reward and your hope is safe in Jesus. It can't be taken from you. Man can kill you, hurt you, take from you, steal from you. They can't take what Christ has given you. And that's life everlasting. Joy eternal. Jesus wills for us to have our hearts primarily in heaven. Our hopes primarily in heaven. Our longings primarily in heaven. Our joy primarily in heaven. Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven. Now someone may ask, well, if, if we have our, our, our heaven, our mind in heaven so much, we have our hearts in heaven so much, won't that make us useless on earth? Not according to what Jesus is about to teach. No. When we set our minds and hearts on heaven and the glory of the then and there, it will free us to radical living in the here and now. When my hope and reward is tied up in the there and then, it changes how I live in the here and now. It frees me to live totally for Christ. An utter and reckless abandonment for Him. Because I know what my destination is.
We were saved to be a strange, peculiar, radically free and joyful people who live not for the praise of men or the fear of men, but for the glory of God. To be able to, when the world says, hey, we'll give you our riches. Hey, we'll fill you up. Hey, we'll give you joy and pleasure in our attractions. Hey, we'll give you our promotions and praise. The only answer is, I'll take Jesus. I'm okay. I'll have Jesus instead. Because He's worthy. He's perfect. He's everlasting. He's my reward. Christ is our firm foundation. And when we embrace this picture of true blessedness that Jesus gives us, that He is our treasure, that He is our satisfaction, that He is our joy, that He is our reward. What can man offer you to lure you away? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. It is precisely then when we are freed from the love of preservation and promotion and satisfaction in the world and cast totally upon Christ to live fully for Him no matter what the cost, it's precisely then that we truly become the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You so much in the realities that You never once pulled the wool over the eyes of your people as to what would be in this world for us. You never once hid the realities of of the fact that there would be times when the people uh, uh, that follow you would would be totally left empty in this world. Hurt, excluded, robbed from, despised, reviled, spurned. Left unable to go and even get food for their families because they followed you. Those who went to the gallows and to the stake and to the Colosseum with a heart that said, You're worthy. Because Jesus, you are worthy. And so, God, protect us from these great threats. The, 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 the threat of persecution and the fear that comes with that. And the threat of the praise of men and the fear that comes with losing it. God, crush those threats and give us Jesus. Let our hopes be set upon the present realities of our kingdom inclusion and the glories and riches that we have in Christ. And let our hearts be set upon heaven and the great reward that you have for your people. So that our hope in the then and there will radically transform how we live in the here and now. God, make us a peculiar people, a holy people, people who are light and salt, that you might attract the world to us through Christ and Him alone. Lord, we do not want to gain people through worldliness. We don't want to gain people for number's sake. We don't want at all to make it about us If people are to come, if people are to be gathered because of our witness, Christ, let it be because of you. 
Let it be because you are seen so abundantly, felt so abundantly among these people that it can't help but draw people to Christ and Him alone. And if we are to be slandered and excluded and hated, let it be for you alone. Let it be for you alone. So that whether we are used to build and to gather or whether we are used to declare your worthiness and suffering, all that matters is that you are glorified. Oh Lord, let us leave here today not asking the question whether or not we'll die for you. Let us live resolved to live for you. Oh God, make us your light. For you are our firm foundation. In Jesus we pray. Amen.